Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. And take the turnover with five seconds to go as Billy Donovan and Greg Popovich meet at midcourt. Offering great sportsmanship. Yep, They'll see each other in again a couple of weeks in Texas. And this ball game is over. Bulls win! Bulls win! Bulls win! 114-95! Let's dance! Uh, your, your last dance, actually, by the way, was pretty good with Benny. You're going to have to top that here tonight. But yeah. uh, another great effort by the Bulls. It's Saturday Suckage on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. That was the call you heard here on The Score. Chuck Swirsky dancing with the Swirsk. I think that's coming to ABC. Dancing with the Swirsk and Bill Winnington. The win over the Spurs. Before we get to Julia Poe, this this knows the Bears. The Bears announced a minute ago, made it official. Cairo Santos is been re-signed. He's he got a Chris a new a contract extension for Christmas. Brad Biggs of the Tribune and the Score, a regular expert here on the Score. Four-year deal, $16 million contract extension, $9.5 million guaranteed, according to a league source. So there you go. The kicker, the best part of the offense. I know it's special teams, but he's still the best part of the offense. Santos is coming back. Meanwhile, speaking of offense, let's go to the guest hotline presented by Circus Sports in Illinois. And talk to Julia Poe. She covers the Bulls for the Tribune. Julia, thanks for joining me today. Speaking of offense, the Bulls have won by seemingly passing the ball a lot. Who would have thunk it? So give me your thoughts on this change, this improvement. What do you see so far, and where does this go? Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me on. And like you said, the offense is clicking in a way that I think – when we talked last a couple weeks ago, would seem almost inconceivable. And I think the most interesting thing is that what we're seeing right now is what was being described to the beat reporters uh, like myself throughout preseason. We heard this over and over again that this was exactly what they wanted the offense to look like when we were in Nashville. It just seems like it was delayed about 19 games before they were able to figure out kind of what that needed to look like on the court but now we're seeing kind of that realization of that vision, which really kind of has been the centerpiece of what they've wanted out of this offense, not just this year, but for the last three seasons. 
Julia Poe is my guest. She covers the Bulls for the Tribune. It wasn't delayed 19 games. It was 19 games plus a key injury. I, I, I would always start with the simplest thing, the Occam's razor idea. The simplest answer is the correct one. And you remove Zach Levine, and then suddenly Kobe White becomes, I don't know, maybe all-star worthy. Patrick Williams begins to look like a guy that only – AK had seen in what seemed to be a delusion or some kind of bong hit that he took, and now suddenly the guy is playing the way we were told the guy could play. With all of this happening, after Zach Levine's injury, with his absence from the lineup, it's I know the team, both players, coaches, executives, can't come out and say it, but... If it's this obvious the way that looks, is it that true? Isn't that the obvious, the truth? Yeah, it's it's the toughest possible timing for this turnaround. And I think there's layers to it, obviously. Like, that team was shooting the ball horribly for those first 19 games. And I think you can't accredit that to any one player. I mean, it was just the way the ball was coming off of Kobe's hand, Patrick's hand, it looked right, and then it just was not going in. And throughout that stretch, everyone kept repeating, it can't last, it can't last, like it'll get better, and it did. So I think that is part of it. The fact that that turnaround came basically precisely when Levine went out obviously is incredibly unfortunate. But I think it's also that players who have not necessarily been asked to step up to this level are doing so, and when there's more room on the court and there's more time for guys like Kobe, like Patrick to kind of take control of moments, they're really fitting into that. And I think another part of it is the way that both DeMar DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic, the way that they are adapting their game around those players, there's just a certain level of synergy there that it does feel like things were a little bit crowded and maybe that vision was not as streamlined as it is now when they're working on a little bit of a shoestring budget with both Levine and then also with Tory Craig out. It just feels like there's a very streamlined idea of like, okay, this is how things have to look or everything is going to be disastrous when we're on the court together. You know, you mentioned DeRozan and he had been out early too. And when this started and suddenly we're they, the bulls became an interesting team to watch an entertaining team to watch. And, uh oh, what's going to happen when a guy who was part of the big three that didn't really accomplish much as part of the big three, but certainly individually. And this was the DeMar DeRozan who became so important to a Spurs team that mm-hmm. that you, you're you getting the best of a almost a chameleon kind of player with a really high basketball IQ. And he's talked about basketball IQs. There's a subtext here I I could make. I could jump to that conclusion. But this DeMar DeRozan is such a chameleon for what the Bulls need and seemingly a great example to the younger players you're talking about coming on. You're exactly right. And you're right about this kind of hearkening back to how he was in San Antonio. I, I talked to DeMar about that a couple of weeks ago when we were on the road about how the first time that Greg Popovich introduced him in San Antonio to his teammates, he was like, here's our point guard. And DeMar was kind of like, what, what the heck do you mean? I'm not a point guard. <laughs> and he never, he never quite turned into that, obviously. But the way that he can work as a facilitator, especially in the first half, he really likes to kind of not ease into games, but he likes to be that facilitator in the first half and kind of look around and be like, okay, 
here's where we're going to put the ball. Here's where we're going to put the ball. And then in those third and fourth quarters, he takes over for, not for himself, but he just kind of takes things over a little bit more on his own with his own scoring. And I think that balance is just really clicking nicely with what Kobe and with what Patrick, and even with Caruso and Vucevic, what all of them are doing, that first half, second half balance really seems to be working well right now. You know, the Patrick Williams question, and I don't know if it's as simple as, not that it's specifically Zach Levine not being in the lineup, but that it was one of the, uh, adult players. We talked about this before about the curious case of Patrick Williams not being able to hold down a starting lineup because he was too either deferential or intimidated or too respectful of all of the players mm-hmm. with more experience and more accomplishments. But when he got with the second unit, you were beginning, you had seen what he was capable of. And now that the, Back in the starting lineup, he looks comfortable now that there's one fewer adult on the court with him. Again, I'm reducing it perhaps to its simplest elements, but that seems to be a big difference as, for me as far as, why, as far as why you're seeing this guy become the player they spent the fourth overall draft pick on. Sure. I mean, I've always been probably kind of on the far end of the spectrum in terms of preaching patience with Patrick. I just have always felt like he was very young and you just kind of had to take that growth period as what it was. Um, But I, I do think, again, I think it's really easy to overlook how poorly everyone, especially Patrick, was shooting the ball through those first 19, 20 games. And I feel personally that that is a huge part of this lift we're seeing from him recently. Yes, it's the spacing, it's the passing, it's everything else. But his confidence level when that shot starts to fall, that spreads to everything else that he does. And the moment that his three-point shot started clicking again and he got that back over 40%, he started being able to add other parts of his game because you can't, you can't go from the perimeter to the rim if people aren't biting on your shot because your shot hasn't been falling. And I think he's starting to get into that groove in part just because that very crucial aspect of his game is coming together. He was defending well from the jump this season. He was doing some of those smaller things better. And I think he's just able to grow more when there is that feeling of this part of my game is going well and I can take risks and there's room for me to take risks without being, you know, feeling like I'm going to get pushed out of that starting group. And I think he's just really thriving in that right now. And the next part of that puzzle if he's going to be successful, is him being able to do that when you do have a full roster and a full healthy roster available. Julia Poe is my guest. She covers the Bulls for the Tribune. We're talking Bulls here on The Score. You will hear them tonight against the Cavs. Uh, 645, I believe, is Chuck's pregame show. Chuck and Bill Wennington, Alyssa Bergamini will bring you the action. Even before, the way this team has turned it around, and, and they are so much more fun to watch. Even before I read we're about... Donovan Mitchell being out with illness and, and Garland and Evans were already out and you, uh, um, Mobley was already out. And I'm thinking they, I expected him to win this game anyways. I mean, that's how before it was like, Oh, how are they going to invent a way to lose? What, what, who's, who are we going to, bl- whose face goes on this loss? And I, bec- I've gotten back to the point where I expect, yeah, this should be a win. Even if, if Mitchell had been in the lineup as good a player as he is, this seems to have changed my perspective, and I don't know 
if you've noticed the players, you know them better. You've seen their personalities. You've seen the attitude. Winning does this. But have you noticed any kind of significant change in the way they talk, carry themselves, make themselves available even? Certainly. I mean, I have always been impressed with this group in terms of their ability to keep a certain necessary amount of levity in the locker room. Uh, I know a lot was made of that first game when they had the players meeting and everything, but this has never been a locker room this season. I mean, after a loss, it's never fun to go in there. There's never, you know, guys aren't happy, but there's never been a sense of like, this is getting sour. This is getting ugly in here. Um, and I was, I was impressed by that this year, honestly. But there is, there's a lightness now. There's a certain feeling of you see the way that they're hyping each other up. Kobe White can't go five seconds without complimenting like three of his teammates in the same sentence. There is just a certain level, I think, of feeling that buoyance. And it just comes, I think it comes down to just feeling the, the coin flip of going from, oh, this team can lose to anyone to this team can win over anyone on any given day. It doesn't mean they're going to, but they do have the competitiveness back where I think you go into a game and you feel like, yeah, we're, we're going to be in competition with anyone, even if it's silly, even if it's Milwaukee. And that's, that's something that they were really scrambling to find a few weeks ago. And now there's just kind of that underlying confidence in there for sure. Okay, Julia, before I let you go, I'm going to ask you this, the $200 million question after seeing the way Vooch and DeRozan began to say, to show their basketball IQ and adapt to what was going on and facilitate this team becoming better, more interesting, playing the way they had talked about, the coach in the front office had talked about. And I'd always, I'd always thought, fair or not, that DeRozan's remarks about basketball IQ were aimed at Zach Levine. So the $200 million question is, does Zach Levine see the same thing about being forced to adapt to what the team is doing, or will he come back as Zach Levine? Uh, well, I mean, twofold on that. First, I don't think anything DeMar says is aimed at Zach. I, I legitimately do not. Okay. Uh, when he's talking about that, I think he's talking more – He devote so much of his time and his mental energy to thinking about how to grow the younger guys on the team. I think when he talks about that, that's what he's talking about um, just from my own perspective. But in terms of Zach, that's the make or break thing that he has to do. If he's set, you know, we're down to being within the, uh, you know, kind of the, the time frame when he should be starting to ramp back up for a return. If, and when he gets back on the court with the bulls, he has to show that he can fit into this. And I think there are a lot of reasons to look at him as a player and say, yes, he can fit this. He fits a, you know, high volume assist offense. He fits into a high three point shooting volume offense. It's just a matter of being able to make sure that the ball does not get stuck when he's on the court. And that's partially on him. And that's partially on his teammates. Like it's, it's a mutual thing of making sure that, the gravity of who he is as a player and how he plays does not kind of pull everything else out of orbit because really what we're seeing now, it's obviously Kobe's having the breakout, but it's not just one player. It's having a balance in an offense and, you know, it, it sure the contract is a big deal, but it's the weight of who he is as a player that Zach has to make sure doesn't throw the rest of that off balance. Julia, great insight. I appreciate your, I appreciate you sharing that with us and I wish you a good, happy holiday. Thank you very much. Happy holidays. Thank you.
Julia Poe of the Chicago Tribune talking Bulls here. You hear the Bulls tonight, Bulls and Cavs. Chuck on Chuck on the pregame show at 645. Also, later this afternoon, here are a couple of broadcast notes. Later this afternoon, you'll be able to hear Bengals versus Steelers in the first game of today's NFL doubleheader. Coverage starts at 3 with kickoff at 3.30 right here on 670 The Score and the Odyssey app. Later this hour, you're going to hear Olin Krutz. Olin Krutz, he has thoughts. So they'll open your eyes, open your ears. After this break, we'll come back. The cultural zeitgeist. In the cultural zeitgeist, about the cultural zeitgeist, what could... Three words. The dude abides. I'm Steve Rosenblum, Saturday Suckage, Chicago Sports Radio 670. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Score. We have the cultural zeitgeist. Right now, you're doing something for the culture. Baby. Uh Do it for the coach. For the coach. Do it. Do it. Do it a little slower. Like. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. You broke my heart. B to the insane. That's the anthem. Get your damn hands up. I do this for my culture. Joe won the Chiefs. Owns. I think we've really penetrated the cultural zeitgeist. Welcome into the cultural zeitgeist on Saturday Suckage. First, let me just start by saying the dude rocks. Are you employed, Mr. Lebowski? Wait, wait, let me me explain something to you. Um, I am not Mr. Lebowski. You're Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. So that's what you call me, you know? Uh, That or uh, his dudeness or uh, duder or, uh, you know, El Duderino, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. Yes, indeed. One of the five greatest movies of all time. They auctioned off a ton of memorabilia last Saturday. From the iconic, the Big Lebowski, and somebody's getting some great Hanukkah gifts, great Christmas gifts, great Festivus gifts. For example, the cover art of the official Big Lebowski storyboard book was estimated to go for $500 to $700. It went for $13,000. If you wanted a bowling pin on which Jeff Bridges signed his name and doodled a bit, one of them went for $9,100, $9,100. And speaking of bowling, a central part of the Big Lebowski 
you could get a ball return signed by Jeff Bridges. And I mean the whole device that returned your ball ready for the next throw. That was up for auction. It was estimated to go for one grand, two grand. It went for more than $16,000 at this big Lebowski. But here are the big prizes. This is what you came for. The iconic robe outfit and sunglasses worn by the dude, or El Duderino, if you're not into that whole brevity thing. The sunglasses were estimated to sell for $20,000 to $30,000, went for $88,900. Those sunglasses worn by the dude and the robe. The brown fleece robe. V-neck white t-shirt included. Estimated to go for thirty to fifty thousand dollars. The set sold for one hundred sixty nine thousand dollars. Take it easy, dude. Oh yeah. I know that you will. Yeah, well. The dude abides. Yes, he does. One hundred sixty nine thousand dollars for the brown fleece robe, V neck white T shirt from the movie. Okay, guess who turned 75 on Thursday, ladies and gentlemen? English, mother who you speaking? Indeed, Samuel L. Jackson. He owns that word, the one we couldn't say, the one we bleeped out. He owns that word. Not a lot of people could say that, but there it was, right? In Pulp Fiction, he owns that 12-letter word that starts with mother and ends with, I am Samuel L. Jackson. And by the way, there was one time on a talk show, I think it was Letterman, said, what does the L stand for? And he turned and said, Lawrence Fishburne. One of the greatest answers of all time. All right, we'll take a break. We come back, Olin Krutz, he had some thoughts. He was on with Anthony Heron and Marshall Harris, and we will bring you that after this break on Saturday Suckage, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. It's Saturday Suckage on 670 The Score. In Odyssey Station. Thanks for listening. All year, all the time, everyone, Saturday the Wake and Bake Club, fellow suckageers, I hope for your holidays you get a rug, as the 262 texter says, a rug that really ties your room together. We will bring you Olin Krutz right now. He he was on with Anthony Heron and Marshall Harris in for Parkins and Spiegel. and talking Bears, talking Bears Cardinals. And we hope you have a merry and safe holiday. Chicago Sports Radio, 670, the score. Gotta love it. Especially having him on the station. Pre-game, post-game, all throughout the week. Now he's here on the Parkinson Spiegel Show. This segment with Olin Krutz is brought to you by Four Seasons, heating, air conditioning, plumbing, and electric. For all the right reasons, call 866-4-SEASONS. And... The, the way, oh, Anthony Heron and Marshall Harris here on the Parkinson Spiegel Show. Oh, the, the holiday mm-hmm. season, because we've been in a very festive mood, Marshall and I, so far. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering now, with the, the results of the Cleveland game last week, does this ramp up mm-hmm. your, your willingness to just kind of focus on, on the holidays and everything else? Or are you still <laughs> kind of champing at the bit a little bit for some Bears football? Always, always want some football, Big Ant. I'm like you, man. I, I can't get enough, right? And, uh, even the development of the young guys for the Chicago Bears. And obviously, it's the Cardinals coming to town, and they don't have, uh, you know, a roster that, that scares you when they show up. But they do have a right tackle, young uh, six-pick of the draft, 
this year, Paris Johnson Jr. out of Ohio State that I'm interested in watching go against Montez Sweat. They got, you know, Will Hernandez in there at right guard. Offensive line played decently. Now their defense, uh, you know, they remind me of the Chicago Bears when they were going through their rebuild last year when you watched them on film. But with the Chicago Bears showing up Sunday, I'll be watching. I'll be watching all the football. I'll be watching all the bowl games like you, Big Ant. I'll be excited this week. Hold on. What, what, I, what I'm curious about, because you, you talked about, you know, you get towards the end of the season, you're either still in it or you're not. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what your attitude was as a player and now as somebody who's following the team from the outside, if that changes much, what, whether the team's been once the team's been eliminated. Yeah, it's a really good question because people wonder about that, right? When you see teams get eliminated. I tell you what's not eliminated, Marshall. Your job. Your job is on the line every day in the NFL. And if you look through the Bears roster, they don't have guys who say, I'm going to take this game off. And, and most of the times when you have guys who can take the game off because they're going to be here next year anyway, they're the kind of guys who don't. They don't take the game off. That's why they're in the position they're in where they can take the game off because they never do. Right. And if you're asking me when I play, man, if I strap the helmet up, when I put my pads on, I want to go out there and get after somebody no matter where we were in the season or as a football team. Because I knew, as most guys know, Big Ant will tell you, your film is your resume and you better worry about what it looks like every week. And don't think people don't notice if you're about to shut it down. With where Arizona is right now for Kyler Murray coming back from injury about a month ago. And you would imagine he feels like maybe there's a little something for him to prove to his organization. Of course, we've all been talking throughout the season here about Justin Fields and what what he may feel like he's still got to prove to the Bears and trying to see if he can solidify himself as a part of this team's future. But the, the clip that, that Tyler and Alex played, even just in your intro coming in here, where you know, I know you've, you when it's when it's required, we all try to walk that balance, be critical of Justin Fields, but then be critical of Luke Getze as well when it feels like those things aren't cohesive. I don't know, the blame pie can be a complex thing for this because it, 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 it feels like it can show up where neither guy at times is executing their job in the way that they should. How do you see that aspect of the Bears offensive coordinator and play caller and the Bears quarterback and where they're each at in their development? Yeah, it, they were they were supposed to develop together and, and we've kind of hit us. We were stalling here a little bit unless we're going against the Lions, right? <laughs> it just seems like they've never been quite able to figure each other out. And, and you know, with Justin Fields, it's kind of like Big Ann, I was saying, and Marshall, I was saying, look, look, with Justin Fields, I know what I'm going to get, right? When he plays teams like the Lions, if we get 100 yards rushing, he's going to look good. And just can he win the game at the end of the game? Can he make the play? And when he plays a pressure defense like the Cleveland Browns and Jim Schwartz bring, right, where you talk about Bowles, right, or you talk about Flores, talk about guys with good secondaries. They can go one-on-one with D.J. Moore, right? They, they, uh, Byron Murphy for the Vikings. When he's one-on-one with D.J. Moore, he does a nice job. Where else is Justin Fields going to go with the ball? And I hear Bowen a lot on the uh, Bernstein Home Show talking about talking about Matt Bowen, who does a great job analyzing the Chicago Bears, actually analyzing the whole NFL. But he talks about they got to get Mooney going a little bit for this offense. But to your question, Big Ant, I, you know, who do we blame? Who, who, who is further along in development? I think both guys would say that they haven't got what they wanted out of this year, they haven't got this offense to the point that both guys want that. They're both not real comfortable with each other, play calling-wise, making play-wise. Justin Fields said that earlier in the year. You had to ask him, what's bogging him down? He flat-out said coaching. He said, coaching, I I just feel like we should do less. It should be a little more simple. So uh, who do you blame? Uh, The hard thing is, at this point in their careers, was the Cleveland Browns game was not executing that drive or making a play. 
at some point to end the game after the way the defense played? Was that the breaking point? I think that's the question everybody's asking. Sounds like we're going to find out this week because if there was ever a golden opportunity for the offense to rev up and fire back, it's against this Cardinals team, which has, I believe, the second worst scoring defense in the entire league. They haven't been shy about giving up points. That's never been an, an issue. So uh, how much are you looking at this game? or And how much should the Bears be looking at this game? Because here, here's my thing. After the Cleveland game, you're like, okay, they can win these other three games and it's not going to mean as much because playoffs are probably not happening. I mean, they got like a 3% chance to make the playoffs even if they went out. So I, I'm asking you, what... Are, we every week we do this, Olin. We look at the game mm-hmm. and we say, "Well, Justin Fields looked okay, or Justin Fields didn't, or Luke Getzey's play calling was good, or it was trash." I, at what point, and I guess the end of the season, we'll know in three weeks. Do you think Ryan Poles or Kevin Warren or whoever's making these decisions has already made some type of decision on if it's not Luke Getzey specifically, this entire coaching staff? I think we can all agree that they're leaning one way or the other by right. now, right? They're leaning one way or the other, and, and when you watch this game, I at least got to see my guys do. Everyone knows what the Cardinals' defense is coming in, second worst in the league. They give a lot of yards. They give a lot of passing yards. I think they're decimated in the secondary coming in. You'd like to see Mooney get going. I don't know if Cole Komet is going to be out there on the field. I would imagine they're going to have a hard time slowing down D.J. Moore and Justin Fields. Defenses like this struggle. If the Bears can get any semblance of a run game going, get their offense line rolling downhill – the Cardinals will be on their heels all day. But to your question, what that, that what does that do for the future of Justin Fields and Luke Getzey? I don't know. I can't answer that question. I, I can't imagine much. Right? I can't imagine much if they come out here put on a show. I thought you go against the number one defense in the Cleveland Browns, even though they had injuries, I thought that was a golden opportunity for them there. The only other thing I think you could do maybe this year is go up there in Green Bay and put a lot of points on them and look really good and really effective against Joe Barry's unit up there in the last week of the season. But as far as the Cardinals go, as far as this game, uh, you know, you, you have to all every week we talked about earlier in this segment, we got to, we got to put who we are on film. We got to put our resume on film every week. Justin Fields, if they don't want you, I'm sure damn somebody else does. He's got elite legs, got an elite arm. Can someone, does someone out there, uh, you know, there's another coach. We all know coaches have the biggest egos. Do they think they can get him going, put him in the right situation to make plays? You certainly had a, a teammate who had a lot of those physical traits that were always really – coaches were encouraged by what Jay Cutler could bring to the table. And then you kind of cycle through some coordinators and some head coaches throughout your career. And, you know, maybe there's a ceiling uh, that, that will end up getting reached there. Uh, this segment with Olin Cruz is brought to you by the Illinois Department of Transportation. Road safety is not a game. Learn more at it's not a game, Illinois.com. Uh, Olin, uh, a few weeks back, uh, maybe over a month ago at this point, when Nate Davis was prepared to return to the lineup, you, know, you felt really strongly back then about keeping Tevin Jenkins and Darnell Wright together on the right side of the formation. And when that decision was being prepared to be made, I felt like, man, it, it makes so much sense to put Nate Davis back at the spot. He's excelled at his NFL career. We've seen Tevin Jenkins play well on the left side. But then, frankly, since then, the run game just isn't the same run game that it was when, when Jenkins and Wright were next to each other. So what, what were your concerns about moving Jenkins at that time? And, and do you see that as a part of the reason why the run game hasn't been the same? I do. I, I think my concern was it's been a long time around here, uh, Big Ant, and, and for the Chicago Bears, that we've had an elite side of the line. By that, I mean an elite run-blocking group together. And I thought Tevin Jenkins, Darnell Wright, and Mercedes Lewis together 
where an elite side of an offensive line that you would run downhill behind in critical moments. And we've seen since then, like you're talking about on short yardage situations, them struggle a little bit, right? Because where do you go? You got to have sometimes, like you guys know, you got to have times, man, when the whole stadium, the guy up in section 400 knows where you're running the ball <laughs> and people still can't stop you, right? Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles quarterback sneak. A play like that. A play where, like, look, guys, we're running uh, this gap play downhill behind Tevin Jenkins, Darnell Wright, and Mercedes Lewis, and there's nothing you can do about it. And that's what I was worried about. Uh, I agreed with you about Tevin. You can put him somewhere he can play well, right? And and he can do a good job, and he always does that. All the questions about him has just been his health. Mm -hmm. And and Nate Davis, uh, a very good football player when he's playing well. uh, You know, he's he's been in and out of the lineup this year. It's been kind of an up-and-down season for him. I think some of that consistency is just not playing a whole lot of football. But – that was my worry, uh, Big Ad, when they moved Tevin Jenkins out of that right guard spot. I really liked that right side of the offense side. I really liked that double team. I really liked the way they were all working well together over there. And like you know, Chicago Bears offense over the years, right? I was there 13 years. We've been watching, I've been watching them ever since as an analyst. Not a lot of elite players and or an elite side of an offensive line or elite wide receiver unit, elite tight end unit, elite. We find something elite. If it looks elite on film, in my opinion, leave it alone. Mm. Yeah, that's that, that's a good point. Uh, one thing they will be leaving alone, I think, at this point is Montez Sweat, right? Like he just let him do what he does. Right. <laughs> they, they traded for him, they gave him all the money, and now he's like, yeah. that was a good investment. I want to mm-hmm. know, just Olin, through your nuanced view, um, who else is really standing out to you since the Montez Sweat trade as far as who else has been affected, you think, in the most positive manner, whether it's in the back of the defense or up front alongside him? Because it, th- this defense has been different. They have been difference makers in the fact that they've had so many turnovers created in the last four or five weeks. Well, there, there was a guy now, he was standing out before Montez showed up, man. I wonder if Big Ant would agree with me. But Andrew Billings. Yeah, if I was going to say This guy man. plays football, man. I mean, <laughs> he's been getting after guys, and I tell you, I tell people this, Montez Sweat looks like that because the Bears almost had everything else. They just needed a pass rusher, right? Billings has been dominating that middle of the offensive line. T.J. Edwards now doing really good things. Love watching him play. Savvy, tough, hits people, comes downhill. Uh, You know, I think, again, I mentioned Matt Bowen on his Instagram page, put him blitzing and running over Kareem Hunt. I mean, you love those kind of football plays, but – let me keep the let me keep the spotlight on the big man in the middle, <laughs> uh, Andrew Billings. Man, he is. Uh, I'm a center, a uh, big ad. You know that he's a handful, man. I watch him get that heavy tilt. He does that return stunt. I know I'm getting into like uh, things now where I talk about certain schematic things. Of the the listeners think, what the hell is Olin talking about? But I uh, love watching Andrew Billings play. I remember from the first, I think it was the first play of the year. I got to go back and look, but I think he threw the Green Bay Packers center on his back. And I was, I was excited from then. Uh, I, we've been, I've been talking about him ever since, how he's anchoring the middle of that line. So I actually think uh, Montez Sweat is, is benefiting also from the way Andrew Billings, uh, Justin Jones is getting going, going a little bit. I'll let Big Ant break down Javon Dexter's technique against the run. Uh, just, just really, that defensive unit's been fun to watch. I mean, gosh, guys, 14 takeaways in four games. Give me a break, right? Uh, out of their 23, now there's six in the league in takeaways, uh, 14, and they're two and two. That's almost impossible. Ah, you make 14 me... takeaways and be two and two. Olin, you're making me sad because you, when you say it <laughs> like know, that, man. and the, the wins and losses don't match up to what that should be, I just, I, I look at Lucas, like, 
I don't hate anyone, Olin. I, yeah, I you know, you, I I want everyone you. to do well at their job. You know, I don't want to see anyone lose their job, but man, no. Lou Getzi got to go. <laughs> Lou Getzi got to go. No, uh, I mean to your to your point with Justin Fields and, and this offense and and the things it just has not looked the way you want it to look at this point in the season, right? And just uh, going into that game, even though. I didn't like that it was tied after the way the defense played, right? You didn't like that part about it because the defense was lights out for so long. Uh, of course, they had their their breakdowns again at the end of the game, which which they have to go over and look at. Uh, you know, the Lions game, the Lions game last year when it was 31-30, the Denver game this year, the Lions, you know, obviously the defense did enough to win that game. But as far as when you get to a point, we all wanted what, guys, last week? We all wanted to see Justin Fields in a critical situation with the ball in his hands. Mm. That's what we wanted to see. That's what I wanted to see. If I'm Ryan Poles, that's what I wanted. You guys played that clip of me. You can tell I'm still frustrated about that, watching that those play calls on that drive. And if you ask me, if anything, at the end of the year, if they bring Coach Getze in the office, and like you said, you don't want to talk about another man losing their job, and we all know the kind of work they put in at Hallis Hall. But if anything seals the deal, it'd be those three plays. Now the and it, you know I've been as as critical of Luke Getze as anyone. What I what I did there was a moment in the game, the fourth and one, where he did get Justin Fields on the move. Yes, Donnell Mooney, and there's an option to maybe keep the eyes down the field where you got DJ Moore out in space, and that to me is at least a a run pass option sort of moment where he got Justin Fields on the move on a fourth and one. It was an exceptional play by Cameron Mitchell, the mm-hmm. defender, Bolenberg High School, one of their finest. Rated Pride is my, my high school I went to here in Chicago area. But he made a great play getting inside of Darnell Mooney and just narrowly stopping Justin Fields on fourth and one. That, to me, was at least an example. There have been so many examples where, like, all right, why in this scenario didn't you get this athletic guy on the move? He did there. Justin Fields didn't make that play. And so that, to me, that's more, you know, and it can be split up so many ways. That one is more on Justin than on Luke. Is it more on Justin or is it more on Darnell Mooney, though? Because from where I was looking, I was like, if you just get a little bit more of him, he's not getting shoestringed coming around that corner. There's no doubt about that. But I also, I don't want to sit here and say that every time something isn't perfect, that that Mm -hmm. Justin is blameless in it either. Like, I I would have liked for Darnell Mooney to get a better piece of him, sure. But that's a play I expect Justin has the ability to, to make, make play. that play or to even have his That's eyes fair. down the field, maybe feed it to DJ. And neither thing happened on that fourth and one at a critical moment in the game. So, you know, just in, in fairness and balance, I want to make yeah. sure I've been yeah. critical of Getsy, but I want to point out I didn't mind that play call. I no, thought I Justin could have done more I love with that it. call. I was like, hey, finally. That's right. me watching a, a lay person, if you will, Olin. <laughs> I was like, finally, mm-hmm. something that looks like it makes sense. Olin, well, let, let, me, let, me, yeah. let me jump in on that because – Okay, so so I'm with you, Big Ant, and I'm with you more. I love the play call. I love it, man. And then here's my problem with it. And you guys, everyone talks about Mooney, and it's great. I don't – Justin's got to make that play. And then here's another part about it. I've, I've seen a lot of offense coach. I've been a lot part of a lot of offenses. I've never seen the offensive coach coach the quarterback to boot at four to five yards. Mm-hmm. Right, you get away from the other side of the end where you're booting from, mm-hmm. and you get six to eight yards. Mm-hmm. He looks shallow to me, big Andy. He looks yeah. like he came out quick. Justin did, and if Justin Fields takes a normal boot on that play, I think he's around the edge easy. Right, and we heard Getsy say he alluded to. He said this week it was execution on that play. Right, that's what he said. It was execution on that play, and I think that's what he's talking about, mm-hmm. right? And you, like, you know, everyone talks about this thing, mental toughness at the end of games, make the play. You know when you mental toughness, you know when you make the play? Two weeks before when you're practicing that play correctly. 
in practice. You have to do it right. You have to have the details down because if you don't, during the game, they'll come around. I could, I could be completely wrong on this, and they could have coached four yards and come out quick. It'd be the first time I saw a boot coach like that, to be honest <laughs> with you. Hmm. And you're not allowing yourself the opportunity to get leverage on that defender, mm-hmm. and you know the defender you know made that. a really nice play. But yes, mm-hmm. and that that's where you know a guy like Tom Brady, the the prime example of a guy who's just at his best late in games. But Tom Brady, mm-hmm. I, I never saw him as a guy who necessarily got better late in games, but he certainly continued mm-hmm. to be excellent late in games. In the execution be, and doing exactly yeah, what needed and, to be done in that, that moment. Be hard to do when you know the game is on the line, and some players. Do that at a higher level because we're talking. We're talking QB all in it. A point I made earlier in the week. I'm curious for your thoughts on because if you know the, the momentum seems to be you know moving where where the Bears would decide to at least bring another quarterback in, if not move on from Justin Fields. But regardless of that, my my concern with the franchise and you were obviously you, you did it offensively here for a long time. One of the great players on that side of the ball in Bears history. The development of the quarterback position is is where I, I still I wonder whether or not the Bears are, are putting something in place to to make sure that they're developing offensive skill players in general, but especially quarterback. Because whether it is Justin Fields or Mitchell Trubisky or, you know, Jay Cutler or other first-round picks, we just haven't seen the Chicago Bears have infrastructure in place where the results of quarterbacks, once they get here, really get better and consistently turn in to excellence at that position. A lot of other franchises around the league – they cycle through QBs and find a way to keep winning. What, what would you mm-hmm. say in putting it into words? What, what is the separation there between where the Bears haven't been able to – maybe you, you get a blip a season or two here or there, but some teams just continue to win at a high level regardless of QB, and the Bears don't. Yeah, you know, Rex Roseman came in now, right, uh, 1999, and just on and on and on about developing quarterbacks yeah. and what it takes. And the Bears should study their history, right? Go back and look at how you build teams – Go back and look at the infrastructure you put around a quarterback, what you saw on film, what you did from when he got it. Because let's be honest, guys, playing quarterback in Chicago is hard. And I always tell people this story. I was here for 13 years. You walk on a football field, there's Brad Biggs, there's Dan Pompey, there's uh, Moon Mullen, there's all these Hall of Famers. There's maybe uh, we're leading the league in media at camp, right? We got 30 or 40 <laughs> people there. The fans are all there. It's a great place to play because of the interest. Because of how much people talk about you turn ESPN on, they're going to be talking about the Chicago quarterback. Why? Because if you tweet about him, uh, you'll get retweets and likes and responses. And people are all people are always wondering about the Chicago quarterback. I went to New Orleans, guys. I walked on the field at eight o'clock in the morning because it was a hundred degrees, and they were selling margaritas on the fence. I was, it was a totally new world, and there was one media guy there, and I didn't know who it was. Right? I had no idea. So, the, so the the spotlight on the Chicago Bears quarterback and understanding that and having the infrastructure around him, not only to develop him as a quarterback, but to get him ready for the media, the questions are going to be asked, uh, put him in a position to succeed and get him moving forward because they've tried to put quarterback coaches around him, Nagy, Heffer, right? They got all these guys here, uh, uh, DiFilippo, right? That, That was, to me, Big Ant, a good plan, right? They had all these quarterback coaches for Mitch Trubisky. And even that failed. You got to take a good look at why why it's been so hard here to succeed as a quarterback. Uh, I like to tell people people always ask about the offensive line, right? They always ask about the offense. I say, look at the draft picks. 
Look at who was successful and who wasn't and how long it's been since you actually drafted an offensive lineman in the first round who succeeded. I think you got to go back to Jimbo Covert, Covert and Keith Van Horn. And guess what they did that time? They won the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> so so you, you go back. Now you finally got a high draft pick. Darnell Wright looks like he could be the guy. Looks like he could develop into a good football player. So if you're the Chicago Bears, do me a favor. If I have the time, all my free time, to go back and study your history and look at the way you built the team, right? Okay, oh, only man, look at that defense. That defense is doing great. You're damn right they are. They gave $100 million to a defensive end and $70 million to a middle linebacker, and they got three second-round picks in the secondary. And they, and they hit on Andrew Billings. Of course they're doing good. Give me a $100 million left tackle. Uh, give me a, a $70 million wide receiver opposite DJ Moore. And, and give me a TJ Edwards playing running back, and let's see what we're doing on offense. Yeah, you That's might fair. have a chance. That's you might fair. have a chance if you do that. Before we let you run, also, so, you know, it's a holiday season here. Is there anything, mm-hmm. in any splurge in, in your years of buying gifts around this time of the season that stands mm-hmm. out that, you know what, you, the wife, anytime you guys are hanging out, you kind of puff your chest like, hey, remember that time I set you <laughs> off with this or that? <laughs> we have six kids, so uh, <laughs> we splur- <laughs> we're saving every penny we can save for those six kids. <laughs> I definitely feel you. I that, respect man. it. I respect <laughs> it. Right. Uh, all right. Oh, well, we'll be hearing you on, on Sunday morning and Sunday post game as well, man. Cannot wait to listen. I always do great stuff, great content that you provide, man. Happy holidays to you. Appreciate it, guys, man. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.